This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today's episode is all about family law the highly anticipated global original series in which one dysfunctional family helps other dysfunctional families in crisis. With its all-star, all-Canadian cast, including Jules State, Victor Garber, Zach Smadu, and Janelle Williams, the 10-episode, one-hour legal drama premieres Friday, September 17th on Global. We enter family law by way of Abigail Abby Bianchi, played by Jewel. Abby is a whip-smart lawyer, mother, wife, and recovering alcoholic. She spent her life blaming others, especially her estranged father, for her myriad of problems. But a very public humiliation off the top of the series almost gets her disbarred. And the only firm willing to hire her is the one owned by her smart, shrewd, handsome, charming, and yes, still very much estranged father, Harry, and staffed by Daniel and Lucy his two other children from two other relationships. And that's just the jumping off point. The episodes I've screened so far have been rich with conflict, chemistry, compassion, comedy, and character growth. Not to mention a veritable who's who of Vancouver actors in plum guest starring roles. Family Law is the only dramatic series from a Canadian national broadcaster to film in Vancouver. It is a big deal for our local screen scene. And as such, I've got a big deal of an episode. First up, we'll hear from showrunner Susan Nielsen. Later in the episode, I'll be joined by Family Law stars Victor Garber and Jewel State, the entertainment icons who portray Harry and Abby respectively. Susan Nielsen, beloved author, beloved screenwriter, beloved showrunner, beloved big brain behind Family Law, Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Holy cow, Sabrina. Well, that's, uh, that's some introduction. And that's a lot of beloveds. So, so but, much uh, beloveds. You're beloved yes. all over the place. <laughs> you might have to ask my writers. <laughs> I will. I have, actually. I've had Sonia on the podcast. I know uh, how beloved you are. Well, yeah. They're, we're, we all love each other. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Family law. Let's talk family law. That, which is why you're here today. And congratulations, by the way, for, for being the showrunner of this very big deal of a show. Where did family law begin? Like, where did your family law journey begin? Like, bring us back to the birth of that idea. Okay. Well, the birth happened a long time ago. Um. And I think it was, it was part shrewdness on my part 
and part um, really wanting to do something that everything I do, it has to be something that I can obviously get really on board with and excited about as a writer. Mm. The shrewd part was that it seemed to me that the shows that were being made in Canada, and this was now honestly a while ago, this was probably 2011, hmm. it was probably 10 years ago. And I thought, you know, I know that procedurals seem to be what are getting picked up. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I can do a cop show. Um, I don't think I can live in that dark place. Um, and, a hospital show uh, seemed <laughs> a little too beyond me, um, perhaps uh, intellectually, just in terms of what would have to happen in a hospital and how much I would have to learn. Oh, uh, all the medical I, jargon and stuff. Exactly. Now, why I thought law would be any easier, but um, uh, I thought about uh, a law show, immediately family law, hmm. and then... Um, what I always love, of course, and I mean, I suppose in any show, obviously the showrunner, the creator <clears throat> might say the same thing, but what I love is um, uh, interpersonal relationships, um, digging deep into characters and their stories and their family history, et cetera. Um, I love comedy as well. So um, I started thinking about my own family background, <clears throat> which mirrors some of family not law, not all of, but I, I didn't uh, meet my father until I was a teenager. At, at that point, I also met my um, half brother and half sister. Yeah. So wow. now that was only from one more marriage, not two more marriages. Um, and I think those dynamics have always fascinated me just in terms of, um, I don't know, issues of estrangement, uh, the chip on your shoulder that you can carry, the kind of confusion and hurt. And um, so I just started thinking about this lawyer who's been estranged from her father for a long time and has to go work with him in his firm and at the same time <laughs> meets her half-brother and half-sister from the two subsequent relationships. Um, so that was where the idea was born. And um, I brought it to 724 uh, very early on. And we, in fact, um, uh, got it into development at another network hmm. back in about 2012, I think, and wrote a couple of scripts um, and a Bible. And it didn't go anywhere at that point, um, for which I am eternally grateful, because I think the show was, it was waiting for me to be a better, more insightful writer and I think it was waiting for um, the right time, the right place. And so the producers saw another opportunity to pitch it in 2018 to uh, Global. And so we did at the Banff uh, Television Festival. Hmm. And that just began this incredible journey of, you know, development through to green light. Yeah. 
and through yeah. to having a second season announced before the first season has even aired. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable. That's uh, you know, I, yeah, having shot two two seasons <laughs> before season one has aired. Yeah, you know, so, and the fact that Family Law is the only series from a national broadcaster to film in Vancouver, like that is also that is a pretty big deal. So, what kind of emotional ringer are you going to be putting us through, Susan? <laughs> <laughs> what really? What what kind of journey awaits you know Abby? Uh, and her family <clears throat> in these in this let's start with the first season i don't want to talk about the second season yet no spoiler yeah. talk about what's going to happen without giving any spoilers right yes nice nice and simple um well uh we re we do absolutely take abby on quite a journey in season one and it is an emotional ringer um something's coming in in episode three actually that uh that I feel is, is quite emotional. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously we end the season with a bang. Uh, <laughs> what else can I tell you without giving any spoilers? I, I mean, Abby obviously has um, quite the journey ahead of her because in the episodes you've seen, she's still very much in denial that she has a problem. Um, she still very much has that chip on her shoulder. Um, she's trying to take shortcuts and, you know, she's got a, uh, she's got a long, a long road ahead of her. Uh, plus of course, there's just all the family dynamic. I mean, suddenly, you know, I love that until now, Daniel has always thought of himself as the eldest and now yeah. suddenly he's the middle child. And so the dynamic between the three of them was super fun to explore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the writers and I, we spend a lot of time digging into their, um, their emotional journeys for sure. I'm exceedingly proud of the scripts on this show. Uh, we, you know, we do a lot of work, um, but, you know, we do a lot of work, but once we have a script that's working, we have a script that's working. Mm -hmm. I'm not somebody who takes a perfectly good script and says, okay, let's just throw this out and start over. Like when yeah. the script is good, it's good, but we hone, we hone. Um, yeah. And, and, and truly, um, I know I keep saying it, but I'm, I'm working with incredibly talented writers and they all have their wacky family stories. Mm -hmm. So we all bring a lot to the table. I mean, who yeah. doesn't have a wacky family story somewhere? somewhere. I have yet to meet somebody who does not have a wacky family, a dysfunctional family, you know, something that's a little bit eyebrow raising. Um, I want to talk a little bit about family law and the family law system. Uh, which, I mean, which plays a part in the show. I mean, I know that we're going to be peeking into a lot of different cases over the course of, of this first season, especially. What did you learn about the realities of family law, you know, and the twists and turns of the family law system through writing and producing the show? Well, oh gosh, I mean, I learned obviously a lot of specifics. Um, but I think I learned that in some ways TV family law is much more pleasant 
much faster mm. than real family law. Yeah. You know, we have, we actually have a couple of writers in our room who've, you know, been through that system with uh, divorces and mm. the actual system. Um, it, I mean, it's, we've got quite a fair system in BC now in terms of, uh, you know, divorce, custody, uh, child support, spousal support, but um, it still can take years and years, you know, yeah. and especially if one person is wanting to stall things, it can go on and on and on. In our little universe, it's amazing. Things tend to get resolved in 44 minutes, um, <laughs> which is kind yeah. of awesome. Um, I would say, I mean, I would say that I'm, I, I'm quite impressed with our system. Mm. That said, of course, we, we try to actually stay fairly true to Canadian BC law, but that said, we're very much TV law. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, we don't say my lord and my lady, which is what you would say in a BC courtroom. Right. Uh, we, I don't even, I'm not even sure if we say objection in Canada, but yeah. you know, we do things like that. We, we bang the gavel. Yeah. <laughs> we, we apparently don't do that either. But we also have um, some amazing consultants. Uh, Gordon Coppolo, who's a family lawyer here, he was with us early on. Um, Cliff Nelson is a retired uh, family court judge in Ontario. And then uh, also in Vancouver, we have Stephanie Fabro, um, a family lawyer. If you ne ever need a family lawyer, I should be really good. And she consults with us on all of our episodes. Oh, wow. But what we tend to do is we come up with, this is what we want to do, Stephanie. Help us, help us make this happen. And she's really good at working with us. Wow. Um, you know, even, even when our approach might not necessarily um, be the way that it would happen, she's really good at finding the ways that we can um, make it believable, um, add in actual, you know, jargon. She really helps us with the jargon. I want to talk about your cast uh, because, I mean, it almost feels like lightning in a bottle in a lot of ways. You know, the, the chemistry uh, between, specifically between, you know, the siblings um, as they're getting to know each other, you know, and with their father. Uh, it's incredible. So what like, let's talk about specifically about Abby and Harry. What qualities were you looking for when you were casting those characters? And what do Jewel and Victor bring to those roles? Okay, well, I'll start with Abby. Um, I knew in my head, um, I wanted somebody who uh, wasn't afraid to look messy. Mm. Um, I mean, Jewel always looks beautiful, but uh, I, I wanted somebody who wasn't afraid to look messy. Um, I knew it was going to be a tricky role to cast because I feel like we were asking all the things <laughs> of this person, somebody who will be very sympathetic, but at the same time is sometimes really unlikable and does unlikable things. Um, obviously a very flawed human being, um, somebody who can make us cry and can also make us laugh. And that combination, 
I think that's where you it it gets tricky. Um, and we obviously saw a lot of amazing um, actors for that role. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we did a lot of callbacks. Um, and what what really made Jewel stand out uh, was that what she could do with a look and how she could take material that was, um, you know, if I do say so myself, I think the scenes were very well written scenes and we gave and we gave her a gamut of scenes to play so that we got all all the feels, so to speak. Right. right. Um, but what she could do with a look, she could take a line that was, um, you know, sad and make me teary eyed. She could take a, a line that was funny and just add a look at the end that made it laugh out loud funny. Her, her instincts are incredible. And, you know, the other thing I would say about her is that when we had her in the room, I think her first audition was, um, we just got it on tape. And then when we had her in the room was that she just seemed also like such an incredible, lovely, grounded human being. Um, you know, and of course, you know, first impressions can be wrong, but in yeah. this case, they, they really weren't wrong. Um, and I think, I feel like Jewel and I have a, a weird mind meld because she just got Abby from the get-go. And she has elevated the character that was on the page that I thought I knew pretty well. She's made me understand her so much more. Um, Yeah. And when she did her final audition, I just remember sitting watching it. You know, we had a few, like a few of, you know, the, we were down to the last few. And I, I remember watching her audition and I just got this jolt of electricity up my spine. Yeah. And I just thought that is that's the moment she is exceedingly talented and i'm i'm anyway i'm i I, i'm i'm amazed that she hasn't i mean she's been in a million great series but uh i feel very blessed that she was still waiting around for this role yeah (laughs) so and then you had to cast her father and then we had to cast her father and i wish I, I think if I'm right chronologically, I think Victor was cast before Abby. I'm 99% sure I am correct about that. And somebody will tell me if I'm wrong when they're listening to this. But, you know, it's funny because Victor Garber was like my, my uh, dream Harry. Yeah. But... Like, I, I thought, we'll never get Victor Garber. And luckily, the producers, uh, you know, they were thinking, um, they were thinking big. And I, you know, I wanted to think big, too. But I just thought, there's no way we're going to get Victor Garber. You know, he doesn't live here. He does, um, you know, he does so much other work. Is he going to come and, and be a regular on a show where he's going to, you know, like, I don't know how many seasons this will go for. Would he sign up for something like this? And so, um, you know, when he read the material and when I found out that 
we had Victor Garber. I, I honestly, I, to be honest, I still can't believe it. I'm still a little bit shy around Victor. Really? <laughs> and he's, he's, he's so lovely. I always want to ask him a million questions about all of the movies and TV shows and Broadway plays. I really want to talk to him more about his Broadway experiences. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but he's, he's lovely and, uh, um, and so professional and that's, I mean, surprise, surprise, but really like with our four leads, like there's no, there are no divas. Hmm. We joke that Craig is the diva, the pug, <laughs> right? Um, and I think Jewel sets the tone. Yeah. And um, they all love each other. They see each other on the weekends throughout the entire shoot schedule. They hang out on the weekends. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, I think you're right about capturing lightning in a bottle because you don't know. You, you know, you could get to set and realize, oh, good Lord. We've got a, you know, we do have a diva on our hands or we do have, you know, this is just going to be really painful and it's, it's so not the case. Yeah. Thankfully it's not, it, it was alchemy and you ended up yeah. with gold. One of the things that I've loved, even just watching the first two episodes and also frankly hearing off the record from my friends uh, who, who are who are guesting oh. on family who, who, love. Who, who are your friends? Well, people like such and Saho, um, oh, you know, such. who like what I'm hearing um, and Linda Boyd uh, yeah. is I, what I love is the way that family law is, is featuring our local stars in prominent guest star roles. Like in the first two episodes alone, I saw Fiona Vroom, Rakia Bernard, Dan Payne, Pauline Egan, Jen Robertson, Fred Uenrich, and um, and that was just like off the top of my head. Who are some of you? Oh, and this is a mean question, I think, to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyways. <laughs> but who are some of your favorite guest stars, you know, from from season one or season two of Family Law? When I think about the little tiny gifts that the pandemic gave us, um, one was that um, we we really had to cast locally mm. for um, almost all of uh, season one because of the pandemic. And, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, I would have been happy to do that from the get-go, but sometimes you have people who are asking for you to cast, you know, big, big names, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, of which, of course, we have obviously many big names in Vancouver too. Um, but it actually wound up being a really golden opportunity to show, look at the depth of talent that we have right here in our own city. We don't have to you know, fly in from LA. Uh, we did have some guest stars from Toronto, like Jen Robertson in the first episode. And that, I, I loved having Jen up here. Yeah, um, Technically, you know. she is a BC talent though, as well. Oh, I don't yes. actually think I knew that. Yeah, oh, and she even okay. lived in Kitsilano for a while and used to go to yeah. Benny's Bagels all the time. So oh my she, I, I, cl I claim Jen Robertson as one of our. <laughs> Let's claim her. She's only in Toronto for, well, I guess Shit's Creek and now uh, Ginny and Georgia. Ginny and Georgia. I'm sure, that's the only right. reason. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, in episode two, we had the wonderful Dylan and Crystal, and they and they were uh, cast from, from Toronto. Um, but, boy, I mean, there were so many. I mean, you mentioned Linda Boyd. 
Uh, I worked with Linda Boyd on uh, Robson Arms, actually, Mm -hmm. uh, years ago. So it was so great to have Linda um, uh, back on board. Um, We have uh, Christine, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. I think I am Wills. W-I-L-L-E-S, but I think it's, I think it's Wills. Um, uh, I I just think she's marvelous. Sachin, of course, uh, was incredible. Yes. The only, and you know, the only way, the only reason I feel put on the spot is that I'm nervous. I'm not going to all, I'm remembering character names and not um, all of the actor names. Oh, that's what's going to get me here. It's okay. Like I don't the, want to push on the spot. I mean, it kind of delighten it, um, but I also don't want to because you look genuinely stressed. So we can move uh, on. We can move on from this question. Okay. Okay. <laughs> let's do it. Only, but yeah, because I'm thinking of like the wonderful. Oh, we have Brian Markinson. <gasps> yeah. Okay. Can you tell me? Does he play? Uh, is he a good witch or a bad witch? Like, is this? Does he play a nice guy or is does he play a mean guy? Cause like I, when, okay. I, and I'll admit like, I love Brian so much and I've, I love talking to him and I've gotten to know him over the years, but he often will play like just, he's so good at playing bastards and meanies. So for you, like I was nervous. I was a little scared to interview him the very first time. Cause I thought he was going to be a big meanie. Sorry, Brian. Well, I told him that, but he knows, but that's hilarious. <laughs> well, I think uh, in our show, I think like almost all of our guest stars, we have a couple of straight out meanies, um, but he is, he, he plays a, 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 a complex, um, heartbroken oh. husband. Yes. So absolutely oh. way more nice guy than, yeah, he's not, he's not a meanie. I, I know I really liked meeting Brian too. And I was, I kicked myself afterwards because I, I realized, shit, I never asked him about what it was like on Mad Men, what it was Ooh. like to be on Mad Men. So um, he's told me via Instagram that um, next time I see him in person, I'm allowed to ask him some questions. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before we, we, we move on to talk about show running in general, I'm, I'm curious about the ways in which family law has changed you so far, you know, or if, mm. if like, what, 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 if anything that you've learned so far, you know, from, from your time at the helm of family law, hmm. chief legal counsel, family law. Gee, how has it changed me? Um, I think, uh, I mean, it's probably, shown me what I'm capable of. Uh, I, I think I've, I've found some strengths that I didn't know I had. Hmm. Um, I think I'm a reasonably good leader. Um, again, you know, you could talk to the writers and see what they say about that. Uh, they would say I tell too many fart jokes and I laugh too hard at fart jokes. Um, I have a 10-year-old who would say that it's it's impossible to tell too many fart jokes and so it's impossible ten- to laugh too hard at fart jokes. Your so. 10-year-old and I are on the same page when it comes to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, oh, man. I mean, what have I learned? I... I 
I, I feel like I honestly thought I was never going to get back in the TV game. Really? Um, yeah, I really did. Like when actually when we first had this show in development and when um, and when it didn't move forward into production uh, all those years ago, back in 2014, I think was when we were told it uh, it wasn't moving forward. Um, I made the decision at that point um, and it wasn't it was not a decision made out of bitterness or anything like that. I just thought, okay, you know, people really aren't picking up what you're putting down in the TV world. Because anything that I had pitched after Robson Arms, which ended in 2007, okay, like a long time ago, um, it um, some things got into development, um, but nothing ever went further than that. Yeah. And I just thought, okay, I think, you know, if somebody comes to me with a project that I'm interested in, maybe, but... I'm not going to expend any more of my creative energy coming up with ideas, getting them into a little bit of development, and then, you know, having the buck stop there. Um, my books were really starting to take off at that point. Yeah. And um, I thought, you know, this is where I should put my focus. And I, and I was very happy doing that. It, like I say, it, was, it wasn't a decision born out of bitterness. It was just, honestly, it was I think it was the right decision at the time. It just seemed like, well, this is, this is, um, what I should be pursuing. So when the producers said, we see another opportunity and we want to pitch this again um, to Susan Alexander and Rachel Nelson at Chorus, uh, I thought, okay, you know, great, sure. They'll fly me to Banff. I get to stay at a nice hotel in Banff for the night. This all sounds, you know, this sounds win-win. Why not? Um, so, you know, from that moment and, um, you know, getting a couple more scripts and then getting a whole bunch more scripts. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's felt like I've just been handed this crazy gift yeah. at a point in my life when, you know, and we know that this business is still, um, I think it's getting better, but, you know, there's still, um, you know, ageism for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so I I have felt very blessed all the time that yeah. this was given to me. So, um, you know, that's not really having learned anything, but I feel like I, I don't, I, I'm very aware of what a gift I was given. And I yeah. try to remember that almost every day. Yeah. There are a few days when you get into the latter part of the season where you're just exhausted and, and ready to flip some tables, yeah. but you're grateful. Yeah. You're hashtag blessed. I hear that. I'm, I'm fucking grateful. <laughs> Table flip. Yes. Um, <laughs> now we had, we had Dennis Heaton in here a couple oh, of years ago. I love Dennis. Yeah. Oh, we're we're big fans. He's a, he he's a return guest, just like you. I'm not surprised. Yeah. He's he's also <laughs> hilarious. So. He is hilarious, and yes. and he also has a big brain. Um, and he described the kind of the twisty, turny journey that he took to get where he is today. Hmm. So, in in your view, what is the career progression for somebody who wants to be a showrunner? Like, is it the kind of thing where you state, "I want to be a showrunner." And then pursue it at all costs? <laughs> or do you kind of graduate into it from the writer's room? My personal view 
is that you should absolutely graduate into it, that this should be a gradual entry uh, sort of thing. And that nobody should start out saying, I want to be a showrunner. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Although I liked, I liked your delivery on it. Yes. Thank you. I sat uh, up yes. and I had my arm out. Yes. Yes. Showrunner. Yes. yes. Wait, so you didn't say that one day? You didn't stand up no. and do an arm thing? <laughs> in, in fact, the very first diary I ever kept when I was 11 years old, I'm not making this up and I could even show you the diary. If oh, you I believe proof. you. I believe you. Um, the very first line, it says, uh, this is the first day I've written in a diary. The reason I am is because I love writing stories. And if I do grow up to be a famous writer and later die and they want to get a story of my life, I guess I should keep a diary. It's very practical. Susan. So very practical, <laughs> unbelievably arrogant. Oh, um, but you know, I, I loved writing from the time I was 11, right? Like I, and I was actually surprised to find that diary, but, uh, so I think as opposed to, I want to be a showrunner. Thank you for doing the arm movement. You're as well. welcome. <laughs> it should be, I want to be a writer. Yeah. I love writing. Um, and and then, you know, and then, you know, at some point I want to write for television. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you're really serious about that goal, um, obviously, write. It sounds so trite and obvious, but honestly, like, you know, certainly in, like in my dual careers, you know, as a as a novelist as well, like it's amazing the number of people who will say, oh, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. If only I had the time which is ridiculous you mm -hmm. know if you if, if this is what you want to do it's what you're going to do yeah um and then of course there are such wonderful programs now like you know that the people get hired out of the uh canadian uh uh, uh film center in toronto and now here the psp is PSP, such a great yes. program i'll put a link in the footnotes to the pacific screenwriting yeah program. absolutely yeah. we've got two two uh, writers in our room who are uh, PSP graduates. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um, so, you know, I think it's about gathering experience, um, you know, getting your foot in the door, working on as many uh, different shows as you can, while at the same time, obviously developing your own projects. Um, mm. I mean, I wouldn't have wished a show running position on myself 20 years ago, um, because I think I would have crashed and burned. That's not to say that everybody would. I think, you know, some people are far more capable than I am. Um, uh, I think that Dennis is somebody who, I think he is the, uh, I think he does it kind of on his own. I could be wrong about that. I have always, on, on Robson Arms, I did it as well with Gary Harvey. Gary Harvey. Um, Gary Harvey. We have our hands over our hearts right now. We all love we Gary Harvey. all love Gary Harvey. I've heard a lot of talk about what the Robson Arms set was like as well. And I, I, was it John Cassini who told me that yeah, it was probably. such a great vibe there and you had some kind of sign up that said something <laughs> like, you know, no bullshit zone or something, you know, that the vibe on the set was so, was, you know, so important and how everybody treated each other, you know, was so important, you know, to, to creating that work. 
It was hugely important. And uh, the sign actually, uh, and, the, and the saying came from our then broadcast executive, Louise Clark. Uh, the sign said, don't fuck with this vibe. And fuck with this vibe. Yeah. And so, and in fact, circling back, talking about um, show running, I think having that experience on Robson Arms where, you know, I would say, um, uh, I mean, Gary and I were very much partners, but Gary had much more experience than I did um, just in and around film sets. And he'd Mm -hmm. done that job before as a director producer, but learning from people like Gary um, I go back to also when I worked on a show called Madison, uh, which Gary was also on. That was Madison. a show. No, it was such a great show. I loved Madison. And Peter Mitchell yeah. was the showrunner on that. Peter taught me a lot about um, uh, the atmosphere that you can have on a set, mm-hmm. that it's a lot of hard work, um, but there's no reason why it shouldn't also be a lot of fun. And I think we carried that into Robson Arms for sure. Yeah. And then yet again, you know, with somebody like Andy Makita, who, you know, is, uh, you know, the, like just this calm, calming presence, no matter what's coming at him. Um, uh, you know, I think that we were able, and having somebody like Jewel, who truly does set the tone with all of the cast who come in, yeah. um, we just, uh, we've been able to carry that, um, that atmosphere through, you know, cause people are working long days. Yeah. It's hard. And sometimes you're, of course, you're going to have a bad day sometimes, but, um, and so our, our motto on our, this show now is basically that we have an asshole free zone. So, uh, <laughs> and we've been, we've been pretty, pretty good at, uh, keeping to that too so asshole free zone don't fuck with this vibe i i don't know i'm seeing a theme i i don't know i don't know what it what that theme is though i don't want to say that it has to do with expletives but you know i find, well it actually does but i love it though because there's so i mean the family law set has been described to me as very joyful and very mm. welcoming you know, as well. Um, And that it's easy to forget that there is this, you know, depressing global pandemic going on, you know, because people show up and they're able to tap into that joy, you know? So how, like, so is that your, do you take that as part of your responsibility as a showrunner then to, to set that tone? You know, I often hear it's like, yes, number one on the call shit can set that tone, but what about you as showrunner? What's your role? Um, yeah, I absolutely feel like I'm I'm a, a part of um, setting that tone. Um, I don't know that I gave it, um, like, I don't know that, I, it's not like I sat down the night before we started shooting and thought, okay, now you're going to, remember, you're going to be one of the people to set this tone. Um, uh, but I, I absolutely think that everything trickles down from the top. Yeah. So if I'm coming in and I'm moody and I'm rude and I don't remember anybody's names and um, uh, I don't give credit where credit's due, um, I don't compliment people once in a while on a job well done, because of course, you know, on a day-to-day basis, sometimes there's no room for compliments. Sometimes it's just like, could you please change this? Could you change that? Oh, I'd like to see this instead. Um, so I do think it's really important to acknowledge um, 
you know, everybody and, and their contributions. And I, I think that people feel that on the set and certainly Andy's the same way. Yeah. Um, really our producers are great. And, and, you know, the other thing that occurred to me around this whole question is that both on Robson Arms and, and now with, um, with uh, family law, and I would say even more so on family law, we have crazy support from our broadcaster, mm. knock, knock wood. Knocking all the uh, wood. Knocking all the wood. Because when you have people who are working with you, as opposed to against you or, you know, saying, you know, okay, well, this is the direction we're taking. Well, we want you to go this way instead. Yeah. Um, we want you to throw out half of your creative. Uh, we don't like your lead. We don't, um, you know, like the, the nightmarish stories that you hear yeah. from a lot of shows or they have two broadcasters who are giving completely conflicting notes. Mm. So suddenly you're watering down your creative, trying to keep all of these people happy. We have not had that. Yeah. And I think that also, frankly, goes a huge way as to why we can be a joyous place to come to work. Um, because we're not dealing with all of that um, outside uh, stress, too. Now I'm delighted to welcome Victor Garber and Jewel State, who play Family Law's dysfunctional dad and daughter duo, Harry and Abby, to the YVR Screen Scene podcast. Jewel, let's start with you. How would you how would you characterize Abigail's life as the series begins? After watching the first episode, the phrase hot mess does come to mind. She's a bit of a hot mess. She's been a personal injury lawyer for many years. She's very good at her job, um, which has made her a little bit vindictive. She's kind of got caught up in this this world of personal injury and she's leading a not so healthy lifestyle. So she's drinking a lot. She commits a huge faux pas and goes to court drunk and essentially gets kicked out and um, loses her job and needs to figure out a way to get her life back together. Her husband has kicked her out. She uh, has two children at home that she misses terribly. So she reaches out to her dad, who she hasn't spoken to in over 30 years, uh, to get a job. And he ends up hiring her and she's forced to not only swallow her pride and work for her dad um, at a fraction of her salary in a totally new world of family law, but she has to uh, figure out a way to get along and work with her siblings uh, who also work at her dad's law firm. So she's she's a fish out of water for sure. Um, but being Abby, she's determined to become good at, at this job as well and sort of win them over in this world. And I love Harry. I love dad. Victor, how Thank do you? Because you're, you're one of the only ones that I've ever <laughs> So I, I appreciate it. I think, I mean, I, I don't, I've only watched the first couple of episodes, but I feel like, like, I feel like Harry has a plan uh, that, that Harry's looking at the big picture, but like Victor, how do you, how do you describe Harry's parenting style? Well, well, well I'll just say that Harry thinks he has a plan. Oh. Uh, I'm not sure he really has a plan. 
Uh, I, I think I think he uh, he falls short uh, as a father uh, without question. And part of the, the the joy of discovering this relationship is learning exactly how how far far he fell and how far he has to climb up. Um, uh, it's uh, it's really well written, Susan. Uh, I don't, she's it's amazing, and, and also the the fact that he's the father of three children from three different marriages says a lot from the you know the start, and then how that all has, has interacted, how they all interact. But I think the great thing about Harry is that he's he's game to try. He's not always successful, and he's not he he thinks he's smarter than he is a lot of the time. Um, but but he's, you know, we've now done two seasons. So the relationships have, you know, we, we were very, it was very unlikely, I mean, that this happened, but we were so grateful that it, because it allowed us to, to, to do another season together because we love working with each other. And part of the, what you're seeing, uh, I think on the screen is the actual dynamic between the four of us that has melded its way into the, the characters and, and gives it an, an authenticity that I think is rare. Uh, and so it's just been a joy to kind of navigate through this. And I love hearing about the joy. And that actually leads very nicely into my next question. So I'm going to ask each one of you to talk about your co-star as if they're not here with us in the Zoom. Oh, rooms. I love it. So let's okay. start with you, Jewel. What special qualities does Victor bring to his work? <laughs> I'll cover my face. Is that okay? Cover your face. Cover your face. Um, Victor is a movie star. He he walks on set. Everybody is aware there's a movie star in the room, but he is stop making that face. He is um, a very humble, self-deprecating kind of person. So right away he just puts you at ease and. Um, you forget very quickly that he's this big movie star. He has an ability to um, take you under his wing and make you feel appreciated. I think when a person feels appreciated, they can do their best work. So he does that right away. Hmm. And he's very sage in his advice. He is extremely protective um, and makes me feel like someone is taking care of me. And even when he's not there, I know that I can reach out to him and he will give me the very best advice uh, in whatever scenario I'm in to immediately put me at ease and to get me on the right track. So um, to me, uh, he's the perfect person for the role and the perfect person for me to have met in my life at, at this time to be able to handle this kind of show. That is a, that is a wonderful answer. <laughs> okay, okay, Victor. <laughs> I hope you can speak at my memorial. Um, uh, you know, listen, I, 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 I blush by her praise, but I, I, will, I will just, it's very easy for me. I didn't know Jewel State. I, I'd heard her name and I kept forgetting, I kept wanting to call her Crystal all the time. And I thought, no, it's not Crystal, it's Jewel. And I, I was so I had trouble remembering her name, and then we met, and it was kind of I, I was a little intimidated by her, um, frankly, because she has um, I, and I know I know some of this is just you know she's she's cautious, 
uh, which I admire. Unlike me, I kind of like dive in. But mm. Jewel is cautious, and she's uh, she doesn't just immediately embrace you. She she she's she's very very kind and very sweet. But then I then I started acting with her, and I was bl- blown away by her talent. And as as that evolved, I just I just literally fell in love with her. Um, it was it was. And then, then, then of course, then the pictures of the child come out, and the, then the invitations to dinner. Then the, I mean that that was over a period of time, and suddenly I I felt felt like I was in an, I was in a family of my own. That the, the, they embraced me, and that's what Jewel does. She's she's once once she trusts you and knows that she's on she can. There's nothing that she. It holds back. It's it's remarkable, uh, and but and, but overall, you know, the idea that I can walk into a, a day of courtroom scenes and know that I won't be sitting in that courtroom for nine hours, which I've done on other shows, <laughs> that she will she will literally she we did a scene recently where she never made a mistake, and this went on, and you know you have to shoot these things like twelve different angles. And every angle, even when you're, you have to climb over cameras and you still have to give the other actor the, the, what, the full thing, she never missed a beat. And I was staggered by that. So I, I, I feel just incredibly fortunate to, to work with Jewel State. What fantastic, lovely, lovely answers. I hope that you both download this episode of the podcast, record that, and then you can listen to them when you are feeling low. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it in my pocket and listen to it when I need to. But what did you learn about the realities of family law and like the intricacies and vagaries of the family law system through the making of this show? I think for me, what I learned about family law is, is how sad and heartbreaking it can be. Mm. Um, these people come in uh, to the room, both sides of, of the aisle, uh, ready to fight. Um, and there's so much pain involved under that, under that animosity. There's a lot of sadness um, and, and a lot of hurt going on. So it, for me, it just, you can't help but read these scripts and, and, and do these scenes and go, you know, people go through this in real life. This, is, this actually happens to people. Can you imagine sitting in this room, having this ugly custody battle with someone? It's, it's, heart, it's heartbreaking. So um, it really opened my eyes to how difficult the, the world of family law is and how hard it must be to be a family lawyer and, and not take all of this on personally um, and, and really care so deeply about your clients. I, I, I can't imagine that it's, it's very easy to go home and turn that off at the end of the day. Yeah. You get involved in cases. It's heavy. Yeah, very yeah, heavy. I, I, I think what's impressed me about the writing is that that it's the authenticity and also the the complexities of it because you know in every legal situation you know you you think well that lawyer believes in their client and the other lawyer believes in their client and that's the sort of the mystery and the of law to me yeah. is that is you know, how you know God forbid you're defending a murderer. You know, yeah. and then, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like, I don't know how you, 
figure out how to how to separate that as a lawyer. Um, and you have to have a certain kind of brain that can do that. I don't. You know? uh, I really I could never do this as a as a profession. I can barely do it as an actor, but <clears throat> it's uh, still. But I'm still working on it. Um, uh, it's it's just really, um, and I think that the really the writing says it all. We we're 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 blessed with the creators of of the show and the producers and the writers, and uh, that sort of feeds us really. And and if we have a question, there's you don't you have uh, no compunctions about asking. Yeah. Right. Well. Victor Garber, Jewel State. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks. Pleasure. Family Law airs Fridays at 9 p.m. on Global. The YBR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Rani Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane Not Furminger Devolet for the original music. YBR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.